Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody that made it. So, we're going to be talking about the Christian response to COVID and lockdowns. And clearly, God has a sense of humor. I was supposed to teach on this last week. He took me out with concerns. And now he's taking most of the congregation out with concerns. But this is the state of affairs, and that's why I want to talk about it. Um, some people have commented uh, how much I must love controversial subjects. And, uh, you know, talked on voting a few weeks ago and, and other things in the past. But uh, there probably is a little devilish side of me that enjoys that. But truly what motivates me on something like this is not that. You know, we talk about being gospel-centered. Um, we talk about being salt and light. And th that can't just be the ability to articulate the doctrine of justification. Clearly that's important, that's where we start. But if we really uh, love our neighbor, if we really want the gospel to spread, we need, in my opinion, to be able to um, take what is already in people's minds, right, and lead them to the gospel, lead them to our Christian worldview. We just did a whole series on apologetics. Well, it's great if someone at your work just wants to sit down and talk about your belief in Jesus or, or something really, you know, specific like that. Um, and we pray for those opportunities, and they're probably more available than we even realize. But for a lot of people, it's, it's going to come in sideways. It's going to come in a, a, a fear of a disease, um, frustration with government uh, actions, um, disgust with people who don't follow those actions. And so it's, it's in that context and that conversation that people are already having that, number one, we want to be able to think through these issues and respond to them uh, with gospel centrality, but also to reach others for the gospel and reach their hearts. So that's really what motivates me. A lot of these uh, topics, uh, this is how we've always done. We want to be biblically faithful. What does the Bible really say on these things? Right? This isn't something the Westminster Divines discussed, not COVID-19 anyway. Maybe pestilence in general they did. So we wonder, what does the Bible really say? Are we just assuming what we know about the Bible? It's a chance for us to really iron sharpen iron and, and challenge ourselves. And what biblical principles at least might our brother and sister be using the way they think about it? Maybe they come out in a different area on this. And yet let's honor them and encourage them and in the ways that they're being biblically faithful. We want to be pastorally sensitive. This is huge. We are not here to win an argument, right? We're here to win hearts. I was just in a conversation, a text conversation this week on the statistics of the gender pay gap. And it didn't realize, or it didn't dawn on me that, you know, maybe this conversation started on the other end of my phone with someone who's been quite hurt recently, not getting a raise. No, I'm jumping to public policy, right? So you got to know, no one comes to a position objectively and logically. Everyone has their, their, their feelings, their personal experiences, and that's what's underneath everything they're saying on top. And, and as, as a Christian who cares about people, that's where we want to get to. We want to use the conversation to get deeper into the hearts. For instance, if you don't think the disease is as threatening as some people say it is, if your neighbor's coming, and we've said this on race relations, we've talked about this with politics, if they're fearful for their life, is your first reaction to alleviate that fear? Or is it to <laughs> turn them to the God of peace and remind them you will die one day? 
and you need a Savior? Is that your first impulse? So be, be, just be careful to jump to the issue, the topic that's at the surface. And of course, we want to be culturally conversant. So I don't know how much study is worth. How much time should you spend in the statistics to be culturally conversant? I, I'll leave that to you, but the point is you want to be able to have a conversation with believers and unbelievers alike. Greg, would you mind helping us in prayer? Thanks. Amen. I know probably first time ever, maybe, most of the audience is actually online. I don't know. I don't know. We have people online. And I know we have some uh, Welsh visitors and some English visitors dialing in. So I want to talk about COVID and lockdowns. I actually, I went back, I had a bunch of notes on this, ready to teach back in April. And of course, all my thoughts were mostly about the disease itself, because the immediate lockdown, there wasn't a lot of controversy on that. It was just, wow, we don't really understand this disease. And so, and, and over time, I thought, well, I want to talk a little more about the lockdown, but I don't want to forget the disease itself and the fear that that brings. And as we see rates start to rise and, and the effect on everybody's lives, this might creep back up to where we used to be in March and April, where there was a real fear and uncertainty of the future. But I want to bring it all. So sometimes I feel like this, this raging debate out there among Christians has been love God versus love neighbor, right? If you love God, you won't fear death. You're not going to let the government shut down your church activities or have a say. And then on the other side, well, if you love your neighbor, you're going to take abundant caution, right? How, how could you possibly not do everything in your power for whatever chance out there to infect your neighbor? Well, we might feel a tension in our minds about love God versus love neighbor, but clearly that's not even possible in God's mind. And so that's the kind of things we want to explore. Like, if you find yourself immediately going down one of these holes, realize that there is at least another argument, or two or three or four, and so let yourself uh, be challenged. If you remember, I was in the middle of teaching through uh, the Sermon on the Mount at the time, and so we started that online. And so my initial thoughts, I, I found, I was kind of working my way through, how would I apply Sermon on the Mount to, to my concerns about COVID? And so here are some of the thoughts I had. So you could, you could do this with any subject, right? Any, any book you read, whatever you're reading through now in your Bible plan, you could take that and try to apply to it. So if you remember some of the themes from there, the Beatitudes, the, so the Beatitudes go through what a Christian character looks like. And so as, as you know, Christ invades your lives and the Spirit sanctifies you and you become a different person that looks different from the world, what is your impulsive response? Does your response to COVID and lockdowns reflect the Beatitudes? The humility and the meekness um, that's talked there. Salt and light. Do your neighbors see you as different? Is your response to the light, to what's going on in the world, different than your neighbors? Are you, as a Christian, are you different? than others? Or are you just another voice? You know, this was the same with politics. If someone looks at your social media, 
do they see you on one side of this subject far clearer than they understand where your position is rooted in, in a worldview? Do they see your trust in God, your overall submission to government authority, your love for your neighbor? Do they see that in your response? Or is that unclear? Is your identity on this position much higher than your identity in Christ, on whichever side you come down on? The works of righteousness we see there in Matthew 6. What are you doing to care for the others in need? I remember thinking back then, like, wow, we should be dedicating so many hours of our life to making masks for others, right? And some people did that kind of stuff, because at the time, we didn't have enough masks. What about, I remember thinking, wanting to meet, go meet Toad, you know? Here's a guy who's now really isolated, and yet he's probably one of the vulnerable ones. What is my, what is my proper Christian response in that moment? Uh, we think through the Lord's Prayer. God's will is being carried out on the earth. God is behind COVID in, in, in some way, right? If this is not outside of his control. He's doing something through all of this. What might that be? And we want to pray for God's will to be done on earth. And of course, just death always reminds us of the need for forgiveness. How much do you lean on God's provisions during these times? I was thinking through the idea of fasting and the ask, seek, and knock passage there in Matthew 6. Some of your 401ks have been hit by this, right? People are worried about, certainly worried about their jobs. They're worried about, is, are, you, are you serving God or money, right? How much is your heart, how much is your response to this betray the fact that you're fearful of your future because you see your retirement savings going away? And he says, don't worry about food and drink and where you'll sleep, right? Some of you lost your jobs through this. You still don't have a job, or you don't at least have enough money. That's a real legitimate fear, and yet we're called to not worry. So being able to respond in a proper way. And of course, my printer got COVID, and so I'm on my phone this morning, and you don't have a handout. Um, So let's come off a little random. That's okay. I really designed this as a discussion class, so we'll get as much as we can out of that. Philippians 1 is a tension that I often think about. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Does, does that enter your, your, your head at all through this? And the, sometimes it's a thought experiment. Like the early days, we didn't really know the severity of this disease. And so now maybe it's not as serious as, we, as some once thought. What if it was? What if the next one in 10 years is that serious? What if it really does kill 30% of the population? That could happen, right? Are you ready for that? We've seen that in church history where regions of the world have been hit by some serious stuff. And that you were literally risking your life to go care for your neighbor. Are you ready for that? Do you live in that tension of wanting to be here to do God's work and yet wanting far more wanting to be in heaven where Christ is. That's a tension we ought, to, we ought to feel, and others ought to see that in the way we talk, in the way we act. So one of the big things I think we want to remember, so let's not forget that you still have neighbors who are fearful of this disease. Um, and obviously there are some demographics who ought to be fearful, and others you can read the stats and decide for yourself. Luke 13 is a great passage to always remember. Those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? 
No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So one of the apologetic things we've looked at, which is a really important one to look at, is why does God allow suffering and death in the world? That, that's, that's, a, that's a question we need to wrestle with. It's, and it's, don't think you're going to have some perfect textbook answer. It's a tough one. That's, from what I've heard, that is probably the biggest obstacle to someone coming to faith, or maybe perhaps even leaving the faith. So here's a great case study of where to apply that apologetic question. So it's no longer some philosophical, ethereal thing up in ivory towers. This is something you can really bring to bear when someone's expressing to you their fear um, that you want to get to their heart. And there might be an opportunity in that discussion to say, take this real-world event that happened over there, people are dying and it might feel distant, and bring it to bear to the person you're talking with. Unless you repent, you will perish. We're not going to say that people who are die are greater sinful sinners than others, right? That's not the point. But COVID is a result of the fall. It's a result of man's sin in the world. And we all need a savior. Okay, let's turn a little bit more to the lockdown. So there's, a, I know you may not be able to see this, so I'll point them out. I just want to introduce some, some of the general categories that are involved in the discussion. If you want to introduce more when we talk, that's great. If you want to fill in details, great. I just want to get us thinking. I've got a lot of random thoughts here, though. I'll try to hold off unless you're too quiet out there. Uh, so I think on the side of pro-lockdown, people who are, are, are generally uh, sensitive to that would act in a higher abundance of caution than, than others. The motivation of love neighbor is very clear. I don't think we have to go into that very very specifically. I'll just read one passage, Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I think that's a great definition of love. Thinking of others before yourself. Taking actions that are inconvenient to you, maybe even suffering, because you love and care about others. It's fascinating to me how much we think we're ready for persecution, we're, we're ready to fight, and we whine at the first sense of any inconvenience that the government would put on us. There's just something in that attitude, and, and I'm guilty of it. <laughs> it's, it's later that day I start thinking about my actions that day, and think, wow, maybe I'm not ready for persecution like I thought I was. Um, so thinking about that, I don't think we have to explicate that very much. That's a clear, good, godly, and biblical motivation. So if your, if your words or actions discourage that in any way, I think we have a problem. That is a motivation we ought to not only encourage, but question ourselves. Wherever, whatever position I take, if I'm less pro-lockdown than others, Am I really being motivated by love of others, or am I being motivated by self-interest and my own comfort? Well, I think there's an argument on the other side. Those who might be against lockdowns, or at least a full extent, might also waive the love-neighbor position as well, right? What might some of those be? And I'll just have to repeat what you say. What would be a motivation, love of neighbor, that actually results in a resistance in some lockdown? that either you hold or your friend holds? Right now, there's uh, a skyrocketing uh, suicide rate amongst people in their early 20s. Uh, opiate addiction 
shut in you know, before the lockdown who are suffering and, uh, even now from loneliness. Um, I, I think there are, there are lots of things that would lead us to um, say that lockdowns uh, across the board Okay, so I, I heard at least two things there. I'll just start making some room here. So first thing you said that they, the lockdowns have some negative effects. And so don't discount, it's not all a one-sided benefit for our neighbor. So you said, so neg negative consequences. Like that are really, and you mentioned health consequences specifically, because that's an easier apples to apples comparison. So you mentioned suicide rates. You mentioned drug rates. I've heard of child abuse. Um, and then, so there's, there's the clear health ones. Uh, and then there's the one that's a little less easy to compare, I suppose, but loneliness. That's a real human issue that, that needs to be considered, right? And, and, and you can obviously immediately see in the context of the Romans 14 we went through a few weeks ago, how these type of concepts Christians are going to weigh those in a slightly different way. Great. So health, loneliness, and then you said something, the last thing you said was kind of in a different category to me. Was it being ineffective, or does it make sense? Okay, so there is a, there's a logic to the way the lockdowns are done. Let's assume they're well-intentioned, obviously, right? But there's, there's a logic that we might question. I want to get to back to that in a little bit. Yes? Well, I wanted to add to this. Um, for me personally, I just, as a Christian, refuse to walk in fear. And I think that the lockdowns Okay, so, so you're saying your, your actions by not giving in to certain of the lockdown measures, you think is a love of neighbor because it helps them from being fearful about it. Like it's, it's keeping it from hyping it up more than you think it should be. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So we'll get to civil obedience. But so right now, I'm just thinking about the motivation of love neighbor. How might that manifest itself? Clearly, keeping people safe. We have concerns for other safety measures. We have fear or um, just human loneliness, which is an issue, right? And the balancing those might be challenged. And then we have wanting to promote um, less fear for your neighbor, which would then be a good thing, yeah. Yeah, so lockdowns clearly are gonna kill jobs. And so your love of neighbor might be, I'm gonna encourage you to resist, you know, don't listen to this mandate, open your business because you need to feed your family. Right? I've heard that argument.
Okay, so someone online said that they can't wear masks because of health reasons, and they've received shame from people in church for not being at church. Hope not. Right, 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 right. Okay. So, so that, that gets depression, another health issue. So, again, I think that gets into our Romans 14 discussion a few, a few weeks ago of, of really understanding someone's motivation. And we are going to talk about the idea of church as, as, as a domain and, and what that might mean. But, yeah, if, if you immediately see someone not at church... Is it really right to assume, well, they must not care about God. <laughs> they must have a fear of man. Could they possibly be motivated by something else that's more biblical? Yeah, Go have a conversation with them and find out. Right? That, that, that's the kind of jumping to assumptions that I think we need to, I think Paul's quite adamant to steer, uh, steer clear of. I saw a hand back here earlier. If you think of something, we can get to it. Go ahead. Yeah, and we're definitely going to get a little more on the church stuff, but there, there is an aspect of, thank God for Zoom, right? Thank God for internet, because what if you didn't have that right now? You'd be really isolated, and of course not knowledgeable. Um, some would say not misinformed, but, um, <laughs> but the, we must, this is, a, this is hard, right? I've listened to lots of discussions from different countries on this and how church leaders are dealing. There is a human element of community, of contact, even physical contact. Tim has mentioned how he used to avoid hugging people until he realized some of, some of those widows, that's the only physical contact they got all week. So think about that. So that's, that's a challenge, right? We'll get into submission to government, but we have submission to government. We have love of neighbor to not of health issues. And we do have some competing concerns about, but what about just being human? Some people would say, some people in their 80s would say, I'd rather spend my last six months in contact than my last year and a half without it, right? Should they have the right to be able to say those things? And so I think hopefully we can immediately see you could have some biblical godly motives that, that are going to be in competition. And, then, and that's why a lot of times as an individual that's going to come to a, a conscience issue, right? You're going to have to make a decision, hopefully prayerfully, soberly, not quickly, not just assuming your, your immediate position is right, right? You want to bring this before the Lord. And then I think for a church, that seat of consciousness is ultimately in the session, right? That's why we, ha we ultimately have someone to make the final decision. The church could be all over the place, but someone has to make a decision, right? And so that decisions go, and we joyfully submit to that. We, we believe that God is working through our consciences. He's working through counsel. He's working through our session uh, to make those decisions. We can come back to any of this. Let's get on to the next subject, because submission to government. That's obviously a big one. Uh, yeah, you need, I think my main point on this is, you need a robust doctrine, in this case, submission to government, before an issue arrives. You don't want to formulate your doctrine to submission to government with COVID in mind, because you're, you're probably going to unknowingly force your position to where you want it to end up, right? So you need to kind of set aside the, spe the specifics, have your position on what the Bible teaches on these things, and now you can apply the position the, the, to your grid. And we'll go over just a couple of those things. Yes? One thing that I 
Yeah, so Tim is saying that literally in our New Testament, when it's talking about submission, the, the authority in place at the time was, was nothing close to anything you think would be tyrannical today, right? We're talking Rome. We're talking Caesar. A, someone who was worshipped as a god. Um, someone who did not even pretend to love Jesus would happily kill Christians. And so if we're submitting to that authority, let's not run to, ahead of ourselves too much in how we would apply it today. So to have that in mind as we apply. So I, this would be an entire Sunday school class. I have two pages of notes I'm not going to be able to go through, but Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good week, work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So there's a, there's a description of Christians. You ought to be known Christian and Spring Meadows uh, as, as Christians who submit to government. That ought to be a characteristic that you are known by. And of course, we could go to Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, that same thing. Be, be, in, be subject to every authority because, number one, it's from God. Submitting to government is submitting to God, and you rightly deserve punishment when you resist that authority. And then we see in there that the government's role is to promote good and to punish evil, right? And that's where some of the differences start to come in Christian doctrine. Like, exactly what does that mean? Is this, uh, is this a total submission? Well, clearly not, right? <laughs> Neither submission to parents or submission to elders, submission to your husband. None of that is total. So clearly there's a limit on that authority. That's assumed in there. And we, Tim recently preached on Acts 4 and Acts 5 how are we to obey God or obey man? I, clearly at the point that government says do not preach the gospel or tells you to murder all unborn babies or um, you know, newborn babies in Pharaoh's case, you resist. There, there's a clear time that you resist, but you also have a clear obedience to God to, to hold on to. The question is in the middle. Is there a time, an earlier time than that obvious explicit time um, to resist government? And that's where Christians start to go all over the place. Um, just all throughout some of the discussion out there. I heard recently a popular pastor in Southern California who was resisting lockdowns. He said, we resist, we submit to, God, to laws as long as they're righteous. So what does that mean? Does he mean by a righteous law, one that doesn't tell you to, to murder people? Okay, I'd agree with that. Does he mean a righteous law? So if I say lockdowns are creating suicides, I could argue that's an unrighteous law and I'm gonna resist it, right? You could go there. Um, or it's taking away businesses. How far does God let you go? Not how far can you prove it to your Sunday school teacher and make an argument. I'm not the one you have to answer to. How, what is God's mind on this? Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know if there is a clear answer in, in, in some of these ways. At some point, if, if it's up to you what a righteous law is, what does submission even mean? I mean, at some point, you're just saying, well, I, don't, I think that's, you, you mentioned, some of the laws are stupid. They don't make sense. 
There was a week in Britain when you could not meet people in your home, but you could meet them at the pub. <laughs> it's, you know, obviously, human beings are fallible, right? And so the laws... So is that alone a reason that you could not submit to the authority because they're stupid? They're, they're e- we know we had evil people we were told to submit to. Is that a legitimate reason to not submit because you find their arguments bad? Or, hey, they, this could be better. You could argue that on tax rates, right? I think high tax rates hurt more people. But you're still told to pay your taxes, right? Do you, is that a legitimate argument you're allowed to make? Well, I think that um, more, more interesting, or not more interestingly, but interestingly as well, the, the idea of hypocrisy also um, uh, kind of turns around. The, these government officials who have made these mandates and then have violated them. Yeah. Right. So it's, I have some clear examples in Britain, too, in America, where government leaders are clearly hypocritical, right? Close down hair salons and then go get your hair done. Um, those type of things. Or not allowed to travel and then they go travel. Okay. So government leaders are hypocritical. Is that justification to not submit to the, to the laws, right? It doesn't seem clear to me that it is. So I think it, it would go in the realm of potential hypocrisy. If the president doesn't obey a law, does that give you any right not to obey the law, right? What authority are you under? First uh, Peter 2 is one that, some, Romans 13 is kind of the one everyone knows to, but First Peter 2, I think, expands the conversation a little bit. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So Paul has something, um, oh, it's Peter, sorry, has something broader in mind than just letter of the law submit to government, as Paul talks about Romans 13, because you're submitting to God. There's, there's a broader application, there's a broader reason for that. So he talks about keeping your conduct honorable. So there's a reputation involved here. There, it does matter what your neighbor thinks about your submission to government. It's not just you and God here. There is something about what that looks like. Um, are you acting away? Maybe, maybe you could, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's and prove in case as a lawyer that, see, I was technically submissive here. And yet your attitude might be a way that, that gives away the whole plot. Again, this is about our witness in society. Is your 401k, is your legal rights more important than your witness of submission to governing authorities as, as one who is willingly able to submit to authority in general? And it brings us a, a tough thing here that I think you're getting to a little bit is, so we have, he says, to emperor supreme and governors is sent by him. So we have higher and lower authorities, right? There's a whole new doctrine I heard about of lesser magistrates through this study. You can look it up on your own. But what, what if the governor is disobeying the, the, the emperor and you're underneath the governor? Are you supposed to disobey the governor because they're disobeying the emperor? I mean, and may, maybe your answer comes not into the legalities there. It's like, okay, what will people around me think? I think this comes into play for us because some people would view Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 in, in a constitutional 
um, democracy that we have as well, our emperor is the Constitution. So if I have a Congress and presidents and governors violating that Constitution, I have the right to not submit to these people in view of the Constitution. You can hold that. I, I see a logic there. I just want to caution, will your neighbors see it that way? Are they just going to see the fact that, I can't put one or two fingers up right now in church, that's what I think of the governing authorities, right? I don't care about them. I think you need to think about all of these things. Again, another thought experiment. My friends and family in Britain don't have a constitution. How would you advise them? You've got to take your constitutional argument off the table. What parliament says goes. Are you going to tell them not to submit to their governing authority? Tim. What's this casuistry? Right. Right. So, so don't go. So we're not God. We need to apply biblical wisdom, this overarching ethic, in a sense, I would say. And not just have a list of laws like they used in the Old Testament, a bunch of fine-tuned ways of what is the Sabbath day's journey, things like that. A Christian Talmud. Yeah, so that's quite legalistic, right? To come up with your own standard that God didn't show. And again, there might be wisdom behind your logic. There might be a good way for you individually to live your life, but at some point you can't put your own standard on other people. And again, that's back to Romans 14. Okay, so that's a huge category. We could talk in more detail. Uh, and if there's really a call for this, we could continue talking about this next week. I have somebody else. Plan. Okay, so I want to also get to the, just the whole idea of church domain. And I didn't know how to phrase that. Some people talk about the two kingdoms. And so is it right? Is it the right thing to take our stance? Okay, individually, you're going to be submissive, um, right? You're going to follow. But is there a time that we as a collective church, a local church, um, you know, flex our muscles and say, Caesar, no further. This is our domain, and you have no authority here. How dare you call what we do non-essential, or things like that. Like, and again, this is, this is a place you need to have a robust biblical theology built before you apply it to COVID and lockdowns. You need to be able to show from Scripture and demonstrate for yourself or others, this is why I hold my position biblically, and now let me go apply it. So, some of the things are kind of obvious. Would we, clearly we're not going to let the state say, you can't preach. Are we going to let the state certify our, our votes on elders? <laughs> right? Are they going to get to veto who we serve as elders? No. Uh, in, in, in a sense, they've kept us from having the sacraments, right? If you can't meet, 
You could say, well, I can meet online, right? I'm not being told not to worship. I'm just being told how to worship. That's where the, that's where the divisions really start to go. And the more sacramental you are, the more important that actual physical um, location is going to be, as well as just a general need for humanity to come together and comforted in a time of distress. I don't think we would, you know, we, we, we observe all the fire codes. Are we going to say, no, it's our church. We don't have to observe city fire codes, right? And that's, that's where it goes into the, well, our church is being singled out. Or is it just part of a general health concern? Well, I go back to the submission of government. Is that a right way to, to divide it? Do you have the right to not submit to government because they're singling churches out? Could you show that from, from the Bible? These are rhetorical questions. You, these are things you need to think through. Um, at what point do we let the state dictate how we ought to, to have church? I saw a hand. Uh-oh, I'm the wrong guy for history, but go ahead. So, so the question is, has the church ever submitted to the government telling them not to meet? Um, well, clearly, we used to meet in catacombs, right? Clearly, the church in China is underground. Is that a matter of submission, or is that a matter of practical, like, survival? Um, obviously, they're, they're actually, like in China, they're, they, are, they are not obeying the government. They are meeting. So, it's, so I would say that in that case, it's not a submission issue. It's a we're going to worship, but we're going to do it in a way that helps us survive. What did you say? Yeah, in that case, they're clearly obeying God versus the Chinese government. Um, but you're asking more, I, I, so I don't know. I mean, we've mentioned this before, that the Bible doesn't really seem to um, ever assume you'll ever have any influence in society as a Christian. It, it, it never assumes that your government will somehow listen to the church. And now that we have a government and a Western world, at least, that's highly influenced by the Bible. Um, what do you do with that? Oh, we're, we're kind of in no man's land as far as the, the explicit text. Like in the early church, when people volunteer, and at that time, the church was Yeah, I think worshiping in secret has been a mainstay through history, but. Again, I, I think in that case, they're not submitting to government because that, that's truly a time that you're not worshiping. I mean, you didn't have Zoom, right? So now the argument is, okay, now we have technology. Is that worship? And that's where Christians are going to disagree. And that's where we need to go back to what is your motivation? What is your general effect? And it's going to come down to many times conscience or a session. We, we need to wrap this up. Um, so many things I could say. How much do stats fit in, right? How much do I expect my neighbor to read the statistics like I do um, and agree with those? Like that, at some point, it's not fair, right? Um, I want to be culturally conversant, but do I really expect them to read the news cycle the way I do? That, that's a bit unfair. One last comment. There's a crossover point, though. Recently, I was reading the Chinese government publishing, is publishing a New Testament, and in John chapter 4, Jesus says we are all sinners that point when it gets a 
government has gotten so far off, then of course we have to. Well, clearly, yeah, so he said the Chinese government is actually changing the scriptures and changing what happened in John 4 there about, with the woman. Um, so uh, th this is not to have resolution. It's to hopefully slow you down, some of you. <laughs> um, think about your witness. Think about what the Bible really clearly says. Where does it start to give flexibility? To give a lot of grace to those people in those areas where they don't agree with you. To love them. To, again, to, to go after the hearts of the people that are around you. We're not here to win arguments. Um, that, that's where my heart is on this. Um, so maybe you can discuss in whatever avenue you have after this. Tim, could you close us in prayer?